0: Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12 manrisingcom editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey Seahawks fans, it's the Hawks Playbook Podcast again. I'm your host, Bill Albstad, and I am here, as always, with Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith.
1: Good morning, Bill. I think we are on uh, lucky episode number 13.
0: Ouch. Let's get through this one without any hiccups. Let's hope so. (laughs) We usually do pretty good. You know, there are some times, and nobody knows about this, but we recorded the show like five times one time, I think, because... We got interrupted like six times, you know, per episode, on one of them where nothing was working, and we had all these hiccups and hang-ups, and I think we just gave up at once at one time and like recorded the next day or two days later, or something like that. So um, Today's show is a continuation of a series of podcasts on uh, position group battles. For the team. And today we are focusing on defensive ends and defensive tackles. So it's going to be a great show. Uh, But first, we had uh, some news since our last podcast, and we're going to go over that with you. Uh, First and foremost is uh, unfortunately the passing of Seahawks legend Cortez Kennedy, a defensive tackle with the Seahawks from uh, 1990 when he was drafted and played until the year 2000. He's a Ring of Honor member and a member of the Hall of Fame. And uh, Keith, do you have any thoughts about Cortez Kennedy?
1: This is just absolutely brutal news. I mean, he's he was a young guy still; he was only forty eight, you know. And it's rough because this was a guy who really represented Seattle and the Seahawks. just incredibly well he was always around the facility he was the guy that um more likely than not was going to be the guy announcing the second round draft pick for seattle i mean that's kind of what he did and and jumped in there and and just a, a tremendous um ambassador of seattle and and of football to the world so his passing hurts um hurts quite badly for anyone around the team and then just as fans i mean we're talking about arguably the the greatest player in franchise history maybe Walter Jones maybe Steve Largent but yeah those
0: those three guys right there are standing alone
1: yeah Yeah. it's those three guys and everybody else and um and Tez was just he was one of those guys that revolutionized the game I mean he was um you know the 320 pound defensive tackle who didn't two gap and and plug holes he You know, had fourteen sacks one year in nineteen ninety two, and that's amazing. He just he was just absolutely an incredible player, and 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 stuck on a
0: very bad team. Yeah, and And that didn't and that didn't change him, which was the amazing thing. Mm -hmm. He made the Seahawks' defense as good as he could make it on a very bad team. I mean, one of those years it was a two two win season.
1: Yeah, nineteen ninety two was the team went two and fourteen, and. Despite the fact that the team as a whole was terrible, he was so good, he won Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Which never happens. Yeah, because you those those awards always go to, um, you know, one of those players but who's on a playoff team, right? It's the guy who had the great statistical year that's on a playoff team, that's the, the guy who's going to win, um, you know, Defensive Player of the Year or those awards. And he won it on a year... When the team went two and fourteen, so I'll give you an idea of just how dominant he could be,
0: and you had to be for that to happen. I mean, absolutely, th- yeah, no question, no question. I mean,
1: fourteen sacks by a defensive tackle—that's a great year for a defensive end. That's better than any year that uh, guys we ta- we're going to talk about today, uh, like Michael Bennett, and Cliff Averill have ever had in their defensive ends, and this was done by a. 320 pound defensive tackle in the middle uh, and, and in an, in a year where teams didn't throw the ball much uh, because of you know the era they were in and when the Seahawks were always down and down by a lot because the, the offense was so terrible yeah. uh, so in, a uh, in a
0: competitive in competitive AFC West at the time yes
1: yeah, so, so you've got teams that are trying to run the ball and try and run at the clock um, and they run the ball way more than they do do these days. And he still got 14 sacks. I mean, that's just, it, it's just an absolute crazy um, statistic to throw out there.
0: Well, and he deserves to be in the ring of honor for the, the Seattle Seahawks. It's a very select club as well as the Hall of Fame. Uh, he was inducted, I believe, in 2013, Keith. Is that correct?
1: I, I thought it was 2012. Two, um, two, yeah.
0: but anyway, it, he's there. It, He's if better.
1: you haven't, if you haven't heard it, go YouTube and listen to his um, Hall of Fame induction speech. It will, as a Seahawk fan, it'll bring a tear to your eye. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's rough to listen to because he is such a powerful guy and such a just smart ambassador of Seattle. So go go listen; it'll be worth your time.
0: Rest in peace, Cortez Kennedy. So uh, next in the news, uh, moving on to uh, uh, team activities, uh, we are right in the middle of uh, the OTAs, organized team activities, and um, we've had a couple of practices, but they've been closed. So we've been kind of uh, observing practice through the pictures that the uh seahawks.com site is providing. Uh however, today's uh practice on um, Friday as we record the show is open to reporters um and photographers so we will get a bit more news out of that. Um so watch for that um uh in in your news feed and then next Tuesday they will also have an open practice and uh, so next week's podcast we'll be able to talk about some of the things that were observed and um, see how some of those players look in person uh, that they drafted this year as well as guys that are coming back specifically from injury like Lockett and Earl Thomas and uh, guys that had surgery in the offseason like um, Chancellor had surgery on both ankles, and mm-hmm. we'll see how he looks. And, and um, According to, to everybody, um, it looks like guys are a little bit ahead of schedule.
1: Yeah. Uh but don't we hear that every year? We do every, Everyone's everyone's ahead of schedule this time of year. And then we get to training camp and they look good and they're running, but they're not participating in uh contact drills until right. they well, were the team... original originally scheduled to, which meant they were actually on pace. So
0: Well, and the team is is uh and rightly so very cautious about yes. guys like Thomas and guys like Lockett, they're you know, cornerstone franchise players that um, we need to take care of. So in other uh, news, uh, Seahawks brought in Kaepernick last week. Um, He brought him in for a visit. It it looked as though uh, the team uh, and activity around that was building up a little bit in the um, in the news. But it turned out that that's all it was. He came in. He had a visit. Sounds like he didn't work out. They had some mutual interest, but uh, left without a contract and there's still no word.
1: Yep, and uh, it sounds now like he is pursuing other options and looking for other opportunities. Um, although there was a an interesting story that came out that said the NFL uh, went back channels and told the Seahawks to stay away from him. And if that's true, there will be lawyers involved and all of that, and it'll be a story that will be painful wow. to read about because it'll be boring. But we'll see if anything comes of that. It could also just be you know the typical off season. Um, you know, let's come up with stories to talk about because there's not a lot of stuff to talk about uh, situations. So we don't have any details on that. We're going to have to wait until we get them.
0: Uh, the Seahawks also released uh, Tremaine Pope this last week, along with Speedy Noel, who really nobody had the time to uh, to get to know at all. Uh, it didn't surprise me that they cut Speedy. Um, I, I read some background stuff on him, and it just didn't sound like he was kind of the, the right player for Seattle as far as his mindset was concerned. But Tremaine Pope uh, had some success last year on uh, uh, in training camp and preseason games, kind of a fan favorite. He was cut, signed with New York uh, last year, and then came back uh, at the end of the year, and they signed a future contract with him in January, uh, I believe, and um, they cut him again.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fans are the fans really liked him uh, because he looked good in preseason games. At the end of games against third and fourth stringers, he's got some great speed and uh, ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and agility. But he's just tiny and doesn't run with any power because he's you know 190 pounds soaking wet, and that just does not equ- equate to uh seattle's offense as a running back so he right. was really a, a third down back kind of guy um and you hear the word uh, uh, change
0: of change of pace um back out there a little bit and the seahawks just don't have a need for that guy right now yeah um, they,
1: they just don't use that kind of player
0: so let's get to it keith let's talk about um let's talk about our featured segment uh the um the line uh, battles on the defense uh, mm-hmm. this week. So we're going to start with defensive ends. We're going to finish the show with defensive tackles. And uh, it should be a real competitive year for that group uh, this season. What are your overall thoughts before we get started on individual players?
1: My overall thoughts, so we're looking at defensive ends, is you you look at the current um, – guys on the roster and one there wasn't nearly as many as i was expecting um uh, just from used to that they've they've definitely settled in on hey we know these three guys are going to make the team so there's not a lot of competition being for the next for the two behind or sorry there's not a lot of opportunity because there's only two spots behind the, the top three and right. so they they've got guys there and it's a good group of nice talent um and you just want you need two to step up and and Claim those jobs, and they've got I think five guys competing for those two jobs, and so it's it's a nice group. It's kind of small, but it's deep. Yeah. Um, and that was I my don't thought. think we're going to get a lot of surprises. Well, that was
0: my thought too, Keith. And I thought there if there was uh, there's two or three, maybe even four groups that I'm slightly concerned about this year going into the season with as it stands right now. And of course, there's other moves to be made um, throughout the um, off season before camp. Uh, during uh, training camp cuts and so forth and before the first kickoff in September. But with that said, this is one group I thought that if if we have an injury, uh, this this group could be in trouble. Um, there's not a lot of depth there. Not like the defensive tackle group. The defensive tackle group has a lot of depth, and we'll get into that. This defensive end group, to me, is a little lightweight after you get past Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. And you could say the same thing about quarterbacks about the tight ends and mm-hmm. about uh our kicker. You know, we only it's, have one kicker on the roster right now and and to me, those those groups right there could use maybe some additional
1: depth. The defensive end group is top heavy, but it it's top heavy down the down through a bunch of different layers. And so even if so you have if we actually talk about individuals, uh Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Frank Clark. I mean those are three Uh, three players that are all elite performers and then uh, so you can kind of deal with one injury because you've got the third one and then you've got the group you know kind of behind it and there's there is some some talent there some some dependability because although it drops off sharply from the top three it's guys that are they have the talent to be backups and they're comparable to backups on other teams, so right, I right. I still think that, that that the depth is okay. The problem is that you only get uh what is it six deep or seven seven deep, um, and then you're that's it. There's only seven players at the position, so it's it's you don't get eight nine ten for, for when you get into training camp and preseason games. Right. There there's just not a lot of guys there. I think what they're going to end up doing is moving. They'll probably bring in another player between now and then, you know, another camp body type and they'll probably, we'll see some def, uh, linebackers up at the defensive end spots. I think
0: I think so, Keith, and I was just going to say that. We need to kind of look at the, the outside linebacker position and see if there's anybody else in there that can take snaps mm-hmm. as a as a pass rusher and uh, take some pressure off. Because if, you know, if a guy like Cliff Averill, who's turning, uh, who is 31 this year, is yep. 10 years in the league, right? His body is wearing down uh, even if we don't want to admit it, he's still a high-level player. Um, mm-hmm. Then you've got a guy like Cassius Marsh in there. Um, and, you know, I like Cassius as a player, but he's not Cliff Averill. And so that that position worries me a little bit, although you're right, you know, with Frank, Frank Clark in there, uh, Cassius Marsh, uh, Deion Jordan, if he shows and, and flashes in camp, that would be nice, Um some of the other guys though, that we'll talk about, I've never really, really heard of. So, But let's get into the players. Let's talk about Cliff Averill. Um, what does he bring to the team, and why is he so important to our uh,
1: defense? Well, Cliff Averill is the—he's the true speed rusher on the defensive line. He's the guy that lines up outside, only rushes out outside, and can get around the corner. And if you look at when he's productive, not only is he generating sacks, but he's also generating forced fumbles because yes. he, he he beats the defensive end around the corner and then can get to that back arm.
0: He's got 29 wow. career forced fumbles,
1: Yeah, which is, mean,
0: a, which is an amazing number.
1: That's a really high number, and I don't know if, if people recognize just how good he is at, at forcing fumbles, but it's because he when he gets around the corner, he can get to that back arm um of the quarterback and that's where the ball is and so he gets his hand hands in there and knocks the ball free and so that's that's what he brings to seattle's defense that none of the other guys bring is just that pure speed to get around the edge
0: 73 quarterback sacks in 10 years well 10, this is his 10th years. season so nine nine so in, seasons. in
1: nine years so yeah. he he averages um he averages eight a year which doesn't sound like a lot for a defensive end because, you know, the the elite ones, you know, the Vaughn Millers get more. But uh, Averill spent a good deal of his time in a rotation, you know, getting yeah. um, not as a starter early on when he was in Detroit and uh, kind of worked his way in and, and kind of, you know, found himself an, uh, and carved out a nice role here in Seattle.
0: Well, when you take a look at that first contract that he got with Seattle back in, was it 2013 season? Yes. He came from Detroit. Detroit let him go, uh, did not renew his contract or offer an extension, uh, which I thought was surprising. But to them, he had a down year compared to the prior year he was there. So in 2011, he had a kind of a career year there with them, dropped off a little bit in the 2012 season, uh, came to us in 2013. We signed him to kind of a prove it deal um, along with Bennett that year and ended up really being the difference to get us to the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, Averill uh, didn't start that first year. Uh, Chris Clemens was still the starter. The team was still in that transition from the old uh, offset line with the Leo uh, out in the nine tech and, you know, big red Bryant at the five tech to uh, a more traditional uh, line with Bennett on the strong side and and Averill on the weak side. And uh so you ended up with where Bennett and Averill weren't the starters, but they got more playing time than the guys who were the starters. They those two played more than Bryant and um and Clemens. And so it was kind of a a weird transition year for Seattle, but it just they had so much depth um at those positions and so much we had talent. Probably
0: one of the so. historic uh, historic level uh talent on the defensive line that year.
1: Oh, absolutely. With, uh, I mean, of course, we, that we, was we, a
0: historic defense in general. I mean, that was that was probably, I, arguably, the best defense, you know, in one year that was ever assembled.
1: Yeah. I mean, depth-wise, definitely. Um, I mean, you've got guys like, think about Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill were coming off the bench. Yeah. I mean, that much talent. And that, and that was, you know, these aren't now where they're 31. This was in their prime years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were coming off the bench to just give you an just how deep and 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 good that that team was. It was just a very impressive. Uh, so what roster. can we ex-
0: what can we expect from Cliff Avril this year, as a thirty one year old guy entering his tenth season?
1: You know, it we have to worry when you get when you get guys up to that age, you have to start worrying about injury. As long as he stays healthy, I don't think you know ten sacks is out of the question. I mean, that's who he is. Um, and if, especially
0: uh, with the talent we, we landed, uh, with Malik McDowell, uh, yeah, being able to create pressure in the middle that really helps those ends yeah.
1: because Averill's production has been, uh, held down a little bit over the last couple of years because quarterbacks have been able to step up and so, um, and you know, avoid his pass rush from the edge key. because there hasn't been that push in the middle. And if McDowell does what the Seahawks drafted him to do, which is to create that push in the middle, you know the quarterback can't step up. That makes the the, the path to the quarterback a little shorter for a guy like Averill <laughs> coming around the edge, and so you're going to see him get. You know, he'll he'll get more sacks. You're right, um, Keith,
0: as far so. as him, him struggling a little bit the last couple of years with production. Because last year, for example, they were counting on Quentin Jefferson to be able to come in and do what McDowell is expected to do this season. We also mm-hmm. have uh, Jefferson back after he had that knee, went out uh, on uh, injured reserve for the year early in the season. Um, and uh, boy, that rotation in the middle to disrupt those passing lanes and and uh, break up that that pocket and that rhythm, this year is going to make a huge difference. I think in guys like Cliff Averill and Bennett and Frank Clark, and oh, it's just I, I'm excited for this defensive, uh, for the entire defense actually this this season. It's going to be a, a marked difference compared to last year because um, I just think that we we just dropped off as a, um, as our intimidation factor kind of fell down a little bit, and I think this year we're going to see that come back in Spades.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it comes back to what were they missing last year? And most of all, they were missing that interior pass rush. And so they went and got McDowell to provide that. But they also are getting Jefferson back. Um, And so basically you're going from no interior pass rush to two guys who can do it. And that's going to be huge because now it gives you some depth and it gives you, okay, if one of the guys gets hurt, you still don't lose it completely like what happened last season.
0: So before we get to uh, David Bass, who I've got next on the list, I want to talk about Michael Bennett, because when you talk about Cliff Averill, you naturally just want to talk about Michael Bennett as well, because those guys are kind of our tandem ends Mm -hmm. uh, that work together. And how does um, having guys like McDowell impact Michael Bennett?
1: Well, what it does with Bennett is it allows him um, more flexibility, because in the past, when Bennett has been at his most productive and his most disruptive, they Line him up anywhere they'll line him up uh, anywhere along the line and let him come, or they'll line him up somewhere and you know run him on, on a um, switch or a stunt and and let him rush through any gap uh, and that's kind of what Michael Bennett does because he can come from anywhere. He doesn't have the speed of Averill to get around the edge as a pure edge rusher, but he's got way more power, and his first step is elite as so far when as you speed so when
0: a when a casual fan takes a look at Michael Bennett's production from two thousand and sixteen. You, you look at it and you're underwhelmed a little bit thirty four combined tackles with
1: five sacks. what happened he, he was hurt he missed he missed um a whole bunch of time and then the other thing that happens is he, he became the focal point of when he was in there he was the focal point of uh, the point of the opponent's uh blocking and everything like they key on Michael Bennett because he's the disruptive force, so he gets double teamed um they 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 account for him. They switch for him. They do anything they need to do to slow him down because he's the guy that creates for everybody else. And when your team has is lacking elsewhere, they lack that inside pass rush. They lack, uh, you know, other dynamic players along the line. That's what's going to happen. And so you end up with a situation where his. His numbers are down, but part of the reason they were down was because he missed all that time uh, midseason because of the injury.
0: Well, and you take a look at Michael Bennett, and you have to put it in the context of the entire defense because we were not only down uh, with his injury and a couple other things going on on the the line, although we did uh, our, our... Uh, rushing defense was number one again. But our, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you take a look at the injuries that we had with Chancellor and then Thomas being out in the year and, and those guys, uh, the replacements that came in um, really make it that much more difficult to have a a defensive line to make an impact because uh, quarterbacks can kind of get around that a little bit. Yeah. Uh. I mean, Seattle's
1: defense was, was pretty, um, pretty banged up last season. Um, And, you know, how losing. does that
0: how does that have uh does that have anything to do with the offense underperforming
1: a little bit because you end up with they end up on the field more often and so you know more snaps gets more probability for for injury um but at the same time it it has more to do with uh kind of the fact that that this this group is getting a little older and the core is uh you know cam chancellor's at the end of his second contract so he's about to uh, come into third contract land, and you know that's to give you an idea. That's how long he's been in the league, and that's where you know guys start to get become more injury prone. Their body starts to break down, and so you have uh, Averill and Bennett and um, Chancellor and KJ Wright, and there's a bunch of these guys that are in that range where they're still athletically gifted, and their the age hasn't taken the effect on them in terms of that but they've but it, but got, it could
0: sh- but that that effect though could show up
1: but at it could any show time. Up. Yeah, but but it should co up it should show up injury wise. And so it's a little it's a little dicey as a as a roster building situation because these are really good players and you don't you know, you don't want to get rid of them or anything but like that. But at the same time you got to be careful because they are more likely to miss time now than they were a couple years ago.
0: Well, and guys like that who are entering the the end of their second and third contracts, um, they're expensive, you know. And so the Seahawks have to make those really hard decisions with these players that we've really fallen in love with as fans. Mm -hmm. Um, There could be some heartbreak, you know, in the future uh, with players that are not retained or or even cut or possibly traded.
1: Yeah, I mean we'll we'll have to wait and see if uh John Snyder is willing to to do that with his key guys, his core yeah, guys and, you're and, right. and and do what he does.
0: Yeah, we haven't had to see that yet and uh, we're entering that phase.
1: The only time the only players that we have seen it for is Chris Clemens and Red Blind, Red Bryant, who are um cut after the Super Bowl win. Um be, and part of that though is you know, the CX making that transition to the new Uh, new defensive front and the new alignments and that kind of stuff but those were you know two fan favorite guys who um the Seahawks cut and let him let him leave so we'll see if if he's willing to do it with the with the this next layer of this this core group so let's
0: let's talk about um Frank Clark, before we talk about some of the lesser known guys, um, describe Frank Clark's impact in 2016, where he had 47 tackles, 10 sacks.
1: Um, Frank Clark's impact didn't show up on the stat sheet as much as it did on the tape. He essentially was Michael Bennett when Michael Bennett was hurt. Um, he stepped up in a huge way. I mean, they just slid him into that Michael Bennett role. And okay, there's a little bit of a drop off because Bennett is just, he is that good and that, you know, uh, just talented. So there's a little bit of a drop off, you know, from Bennett to Clark, but not a lot. And he just had that same kind of ability to take over games and really, uh, create for everyone else around him and make the blitzes better and make Cliff Averill better. And, and was just a dynamic player. And, you know, you it was only his second year, so this is going into his third year. You expect him to take another step um forward and if he does, you know, he's gonna be uh Michael Bennett two point and, well, and
0: he could he could be he could have more sacks, I think, just because of his physicality, um and being able to, to literally push linemen out of the way. True. Where where Michael Bennett uses more of a, a technique and, and he's very quick, um, with that uppercut swim move that he's got. Um, but uh, Frank Clark just bowls you over.
1: Yeah. Um, Bennett's first step, when you see his feet, his first step is lightning quick. And that's one of the reasons why he's so good on the inside between that and then his hands in order to get um, the, you know, the, 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 linemen from being able to get their hands on him and block. I mean, he's, he's really good. Um, it just, technically and then but it, it all it all starts and, and ends with that first or it ends but it starts with that first step of his, which is really good. Clark doesn't have that first step, but you're right, he plays with more power, he plays with more athleticism, uh more strength and so if he can learn some of Bennett's technique with his hands, man, we can you can see a point in the future where he just becomes unblockable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very exciting player. I really like Frank Clark. I've always liked him I know that there was some controversy when he first came into the team, but since then it's been uh, it's been good. Had a little blow up this last off season, but I think going forward, he's a guy on the team um, that is really going to just uh, fit in as he becomes uh, and takes starter minutes and snaps. Um, I don't see really any drop off, you know, going into the future, which is great news for our defensive line. Um, how about a guy like? David Bass. He's been in the league five years. We signed him on May 7th. uh, After I think we cut like eight players after the first little um, mini camp thing after the draft. Um, Five years experience, seventh round pick in 2013. He's appeared in 49 games. He's started nine. He's got five and a half career sacks, 85 total tackles. And I don't know anything about him
1: other than those stats. Um, So what you're going to get from Bass is – Think of him the same way you did, uh, Mike Morgan, at linebacker uh, last year. He was a guy who he's a veteran. He's played in the league, serviceable. You know, you know what you're going to get from him. It's never going to be exciting. It's never going to be, you know, huge. But he's serviceable is a perfect word because he's a guy you can count on. He's a guy that can come in and do uh, some of the little things. He won't make huge mistakes. He might not make a huge impact, but he's not going to kill you with his mistakes. And that's kind of what the team was looking for when they went and signed him, was just a guy that they could trust um, as a backup in case a guy like Cassius Marsh um, got hurt during training camp or if Dion Jordan flamed out or, you know, that kind of thing. And they just needed another body for training camp and for preseason and that kind of stuff. So that's what, what David Bass brought them.
0: How about Taylor Harris, another guy I've never um, never heard of. He's got size, though. I mean, he's 6'3",
1: 306. He, see, they have him listed as defensive end when they signed him. You know, he's a defensive tackle to me. Um, so that was a little weird. He's kind of, he's not quite, but he's kind of in that um, almost a Red Bryant type issue where he's more of a, of a defensive tackle than a defensive end. Bigger guy, strong. He's got he's got a good lower body as far as kind of an
0: an edge setter.
1: Yeah. uh, More of an edge setter, you know, two gap. He's not going to, I mean, think about it. You're not going to get a defensive end at three Oh six. That's going to get after um, the quarterback all that much, but he's an interesting player because he provides something that the six don't have elsewhere. And so how how does he fit in? How do they use him? What role do they see him in? Um, Is he an inside out guy where he maybe plays on the um, at end in obvious run situations only, but moves inside and in passing situations. We're just gonna have to kind of wait and see how they're how they use him once uh, training camp begins.
0: Well, and you never know. I mean, by the time camp comes, some of these guys we're gonna talk about are just not gonna be on the team anymore because the yeah. team does uh, like to go through lots of players before they settle in on a on a roster in camp. Um, and he could he could be you know one of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. how, how about Dion Jordan? Signed him this offseason, season. Uh, came in with into the league with a lot of hype in 2013. Third overall pick. Um, where I think Miami moved up from like 10 or 12, moved up mm-hmm. to get him uh, as the third overall pick, and then immediately was just completely disappointed. Um, and then Miami finally released him this last March um, on an injury settlement. I guess he had a knee injury. He's still recovering a little bit. So he's not able to completely show in camp. I don't even know if he makes it to, to, uh, to our regular camp at the end of July.
1: I think he will, unless he has some sort of off field incident, um, which is one of the, I mean, the knee got in the way, but that wasn't the main problem in Miami. Um, it was the other suspensions. And as long as Deion Jordan keeps himself clean, I think he'll get into camp and then they'll see what's happened because what he provides Seattle is a super hyper-athletic, uh, speed rushing defensive end who can do everything. He is essentially a, um, larger version of Bruce Irvin. He outweighs Bruce, um, Bruce by about 30 pounds, but he can run, you know, at that level. He's, you know, just... Got all the athleticism and all the everything you could possibly want.
0: Um, I'm just not sure position, I'm, so. I'm not sure about that, Keith. And only they only say that is because he came in at uh, running a four five four at the Combine in two thousand thirteen, but he only weighed like two hundred and forty seven pounds, I think, at that point. According to all reports, he's close to like two hundred and ninety pounds now. And I don't think that he could probably run a four seven
1: at this point. Well, I don't think uh, the stuff that I've seen has him about two seventy, so he's up about twenty pounds from his combine weight. And so, yeah, he's probably not running the pure speed in a straight line. But look at his other um, measurements. Look at his, his his broad jump. Look at his well, he's, vertical. He's look super at his... athletic. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got all of that athleticism. Now, they're not – the Seahawks aren't going to be dropping Jordan back into linebacker and having him go into coverage like they did occasionally with with, uh, Bruce Irvin. He's just going to be an edge rusher, a speed guy. Uh, As of right now, I would put him as Cliff Averill's backup because he has that ability. Um, But at the same time, you know, we also don't know how his knee is is recovering and we don't know, you know, has he lost some of that athleticism because of the knee injury? And if he has, well, then that makes his path to the roster much harder because it's that, it's that athleticism, that agility, that, you know, power, ability to convert speed to power. Those are the things that um, Deion Jordan brought to the, to the roster and, and paved his path towards getting uh, onto the 53 if he was going to.
0: Well, I I tell you what. If he makes it to camp, he's definitely going to be one of those guys that I'm going to be looking for. Because anytime you've got a guy like Jordan um, come on your team, and if if he's healthy, and if he's really making a a legit push to be on the roster, um, he could be one of those camp surprises.
1: Oh, absolutely. And there was a reason he was the number three overall pick. The talent is there physically. He can... He can do things that other guys can't. The question is, um, how's his knee? And can he keep things together? Um, he hasn't kept off things
0: together so far, Keith. So, what I mean, you know, you, you, exactly. as, a, as a fan, you just have to say, okay, no risk, high upside. And that's yep. where you have to leave it until you see it on the field. And when you see it, then you can get excited. Until then, it's yep. really hard to even talk about
1: exact i i think that's a great way to think of it is because you just don't don't have any expectations for him because that's might be what you get out of him but if he does hit he's going to hit big so, so we'll see. let's
0: let's talk about Cassius Marsh real quick and then we can move on to defensive tackles um here's a guy that came into the league he's got he's entering his fourth season uh which is his kind of uh make it or break it season with the Seahawks as far as getting uh, re-signed with the team. Um, out of UCLA, 6'4", about around 250. Um, I was excited about his prospects when he first started um, in the way that they were going to use him um, because they were all over the place uh, at UCLA with him. He played defensive tackle, then he played defensive end. He was His weight was up and down. He kind of settled in with Seattle, but really hasn't shown enough to warrant giving him another contract what do you think
1: yeah i would agree i mean he sounds he looks he's going into his contract year and he looks like a guy that they're going to probably let walk and replace with a younger uh draft pick and and hope they can find someone i mean unless of course he just explodes this year but there's nothing from the tape from his previous three years that that suggests that he's going to just explode and and make himself look like an uh, uh indispensable player He's got some speed around the edge. He's got some, uh, you know, some quickness, but not a ton. Uh, The Seahawks have used him a little bit at outside linebacker, um, you know, at the strong side, you know, to set the edge against the run because he's got, you know, some of that quickness and he's got a little bit of the size as a defensive end that he can handle that. Um, But really what they, when they drafted him, what they wanted was they wanted him to develop into... A speed rusher. They wanted him to develop into uh, Cliff Averill 2.0, and he's never really done that. He just doesn't have that first step. Doesn't have quite enough quickness to consistently get around um, the edge and get to the quarterback. And so they've been, you know, mixing and max matching and, and placing him in different places, trying to get some production out of him. And he's he's a good player. He's a nice player. He's a nice piece to have. But he's not a he's not a core player, and he's not a guy that's going to you're not going to build your team around Cassius Marsh. And so therefore that makes him a guy that's probably replaceable, uh, next off season when his contract is up.
0: So defensive tackles, we've talked a little bit about the excitement of Quentin Jefferson coming back this year and, and the mm-hmm. impact that that might make. It would be a, a even larger deal if McDowell uh, didn't get drafted. Um, Quentin Jefferson's your quintessential guy that's going to give you some uh, push, uh, push that pocket and get some sacks for you rushing uh, from the defensive tackle spot. Any thoughts about Quentin Jefferson coming back?
1: One thing that people have to keep in mind with Jefferson is that he's a rotational guy. He is a guy that's going to come in in the nickel and and push the pocket to get the quarterback. If he's in there um, on a running play, he's a liability. And so... He isn't a guy that you can just stick in the roster as a starter and just and expect great things. The CX want to stop the run first, and that means that Jefferson has to be a rotational guy, not a starter.
0: Well, and that's good for Jefferson because you're not going to get worn down that way, and he can always give you 110% on every
1: snap. Yeah, it, it, it is good for him, but at the same time, it also limits his ability to... Um, you know, to stick on the roster. He make, it just makes this path to the roster a little more difficult because you've also got Malik McDowell who um, can do the things that Jefferson does but can also play against the run. We, gave, so,
0: we gave up a fourth-round pick in this year's draft for Quentin Jefferson. Yeah, we so did. So I think that he's going to stick. I, I I just, you know, but he's got to, you're right, he's got to prove it. I mean, he's got to stay healthy, A, and B, mm-hmm. when he gets his opportunities, he's got to make him, make him count.
1: Yeah, and so and that's that's the that's the thing with him. So it's a it it comes down to how do you how do you build that position group? Are you keeping four defensive uh, tackles because you know that um, Clark and Bennett are going to slide in um, into the three tech occasionally, or are you keeping five? And if you're keeping if you're keeping five, then it becomes really easy to, to squeeze. Quentin Jefferson in there, and if you're keeping four, it becomes a lot harder to justify a guy who is limited and doesn't provide. I think you're keeping five.
0: I think you're keeping five only because Malik McDowell can play such a Swiss Army knife role for you.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: How about um, Chenille Jenkins? Guy I've not really heard of. Came in from a a, a Division two school. He's entering his second year. Um, had some good production, uh, against that lower level competition, um, but, and signed a, a futures contract with Seattle.
1: Um, so, okay. So you look at, at Jenkins and one of the things that I found that was interesting is he, so he's listed as defensive tackle at 275 pounds.
0: Yeah.
1: Dion, Dion Jordan is also listed at 275 pounds. He's a defensive end. Uh, Michael Bennett is 274 pounds. Uh, to give you an idea of the size, this is a guy who's really undersized on the inside, but is he is he um, quick? He is quick, and he's got good hands. And so the the Seahawks are bringing him in um, as a he's basically you know Quentin Jefferson insurance. Um, I don't know if there's a, an easy path for um, Jenkins to make the roster at this point, but that's who he is. He's young, he's athletic, and or he's not really super athletic, but he's quick. Um, and has the ability to, to brush the passer on the inside, but he's way undersized. He's, gonna, um, he's essentially not there on a running he's, plate. He's, so. in,
0: he, he's insurance. I mean, quite uh-huh. frankly, he's not going to make the team unless somebody gets hurt. Yep. Um, let's talk about uh, Naz Jones, Nazir Jones. He, he likes to go by Naz. Um, so that's kind of his nickname, uh, our rookie uh, run-stuffing defensive tackle out of North Carolina. Um, Mike Mayock was concerned on Jones because he thought he ran uh, hot and cold and more cold than hot. <laughs> uh, but but in our role, in our defense, he is a rotation guy, and mm-hmm. maybe that makes a difference for guys like that.
1: So Nas Jones is basically... Um, he is here to try and make attire Rubin expendable. Um, and they're this, they are very similar players. Yeah. Um, Naz is taller, but at the same time, you know, but the, you look at the combination of, uh, of weight and athleticism and what they do. And, you know, and
0: Rubin's going into his 10th season, by yes, the way.
1: And he's already 30. Um, and, you know, Jones is twenty two and a rookie, so that that'll give you a, a little bit there. But so you have he he is he was drafted and brought in entirely to um uh, try and push Ataya Rubin off the roster. I don't know if he can do that because I think Rubin is still um the starter because of his ability to play both the three tech and um the nose tackle spot. But Jones is probably taking over Ruben's spot next year. I still Um,
0: see that, you know, if we do keep five, which I believe that we will, I still see Naz on the roster and Ruben on the roster this year.
1: Yep. And then the third guy in that group would be uh, Jaron Reed, assuming that his legal troubles don't end up landing him on the suspended list.
0: Um, Well, let's talk about Jaron Reed. You know there's a the guy we brought in from Alabama last year uh, you don't see a lot of stats on him overall, but he made a great impact as a, our kind of a run stuffing defensive tackle last year in oh, that, yeah in that mebane kind of role
1: that's exactly who he is he's he was the brandon Brandon mebane replacement he's the nose tackle he is a two gap guy meaning he he'll um, he lines up takes on the center, controls both a gaps with the idea that he, he'll shed and tackle the um, the running back as they come through. Uh, did a very good job of it. He's got a really good anchor, so he doesn't get pushed. Um, he is a very stereotypical nose tackle. He's a, he's the, the kind of guy that you want in the middle of your line. And yeah, yeah provided- solid.
0: And a guy that yep. you can probably re-sign you know, for another uh, contract relatively easily. Um, a guy that you can basically plug in there and forget about it.
1: Yep. So, from a football standpoint, you know Reed is he is um, he's the the guy that you kind of depend on. He's that that middle of of the um, of your defensive line, much like Brandon Mebane was. Now, the question is, can can he stay on the field and not get himself in trouble? Because there was a a domestic incident and he was arrested, and we still don't have very many details about all of that, and we don't know if anything's going to come of it or whether. There was, there's anything substantial behind it, so we're still waiting on details for that. But uh, that's like the, really the only question mark when it comes to Reed. This is, a, this is a very solid long-term starter for Seattle, assuming his off-field stuff is not a big deal.
0: So do you feel like Naz Jones can come in and kind of take his place if he was out four games? I mean, we just don't know at this point, but would that be the guy that would do it?
1: Yes, but it would happen in a shifted way. What you'd have is you'd have Ruben that would slide over into the nose tackle spot, and Nas Jones would um, come in at the three tech um, and and take Ruben's spot. So I know it's you know you don't want usually you don't want to do something like that because then you make two positions weaker rather than one. But I just think that's what the Seahawks will do because they trust Ruben in that role. He knows it. They know that he can do it. And so then you're just setting up. Uh, the rest of the defense to have more confidence in that key spot at the nose tackle?
0: So, one of the um, few undrafted free agents uh, on the defensive side of the ball is a defensive tackle, Jeremy Liggins. It's, uh, got good size at 6'3, 315. He, the interesting thing about this guy is he was originally a three star quarterback recruit at 270 pounds at Old Miss. And I, I guess he, his his claim to fame is he can throw a football like eighty yards, you know. Big, so I can I can guy. imagine I can imagine some, some creative uh, packages to get him on the field and some sneaky little scheme, you know, that Pete Carroll might throw at the uh, Los Angeles Rams this year for uh, retribution <laughs> from a few years past. So talk about. Yeah. Do you know anything about this guy?
1: Um, all I know is that he is. He's another big run stuffer. He doesn't have... Um, you know, there, okay Finding tape on him was really not easy to do, even though he played at North Carolina. as a big school. Um, because... well, he played,
0: yeah, he played all over the place, and he played offensive tackle. He had lined up at some tight end. He had yeah. some quarterback things in a Wildcat formation with them and had like 20 carries and a couple of touchdowns. Um, he, near as I can tell, Keith, he really didn't spend a lot of time as a defensive guy at all
1: well he did he spent some as you know defensive end, defensive tackle they moved him around basically he was one of those guys that that um the coaches just tried to get on the field as much as possible but he never really had a position and so the Seahawks I think see him as a uh, because he's got a lot of athleticism for that size I mean he really does yeah so they see they see him as a guy that they can they can use in different ways but I don't know if they can get his technique um to a point quick enough to where he can make it, uh, an impact um but if he does make the team i could see him actually getting time at fullback
0: i can see get him getting time on the offensive line because uh cable will have a beer with the guy and all of a sudden oh, he's a, all of a sudden he's an offensive tackle <laughs> you know i'm serious i'm totally serious
1: yeah i can see that too but i see him more as a fullback the same way they you know cuz they they had um uh, Tani Tupu last year, who was a defensive tackle. They moved to fullback. They had, um, uh, the big guy, um, will Tukuafu yeah. who was a defensive end. They used it fullback for almost two years. Yeah. So I could see them moving a, a guy with his ability to move and, and, um, his knowledge of, you know, different offensive things, uh, into fullback because then then yeah then you end up situations where it's like okay he's the fullback and you um, you know motion him somewhere. Uh, get a pitch going outside and let let him throw it. Yeah. Um, deep downfield to Lockett or one of the speed guys down in the corner and see what happens because he's or, got the ha- or hand good. him
0: or hand him the ball at the at the three yard line and just watch him. You know, William Perry, the refrigerator Perry, go over a couple of guys. You know. Yeah,
1: because he's cause he's three hundred and four pounds. So <laughs> uh, you know, we'll we'll see. And and he's an interesting guy. He he reminds me of this year's version of Tanner McAvoy who was a quarterback, safety, wide receiver, tight end um at Wisconsin and the Seahawks brought him in, turned him into a full-time wide receiver and just let him develop and use that, you know, athleticism and the weird measurables that he has um and turned him into a a fun player to watch. And so, you know, this is a guy who has those kind of same ideas but on the defensive side of the ball. So, we'll see he doesn't really have a position but the team will get him one at some point and it'll be fun. It's fun to watch.
0: So, a couple of guys before we talk about McDowell. Um, we already talked about Ruben mm-hmm. um, and we kind of know what we've got there. Garrison Smith is another name that's been around the roster a little bit. What do you know about Garrison Smith?
1: So, Garrison Smith, um, the Seahawks brought in uh, after training camp uh, because they had some, you know, he was with the 49ers. And he, they had had some, you know, injury issues on the line, so they brought him in. And then when um, Quentin Jefferson went down with his injury, uh, Garrison Smith stepped in in that same role as the interior pass rusher, uh, and actually did okay. But then he also got hurt and ended up on injured reserve. And then that the team was left with nothing um, as far as interior pass rush. So that's kind of what he brings. He is um, Quentin Jefferson light, which. It sounds weird because he weighs more, but uh it's the same idea. Um that he's the guy who's gonna come in and, and push the uh push the pocket from the in, inside uh on those downs. He I just see him he's he's not as good as Jefferson on tape and so he's got a, a longer path to get there and then they've also got guys like Jenkins and um you know, McDowell who will give you some of that as well so it's, it's kind of a a hard path to see um him make the roster but you know he's got his he's got his opportunity and he showed last year that he deserves um a spot in this league now whether it's on this roster or another one we'll see but he can play
0: so let's wrap up the show talking about our prized 20 year old second round draft pick uh it goes by the nickname Leak leek mcdowell I like it. Uh, Rated number 24 overall player in this year's draft by McShay. Uh, Number two defensive tackle overall. Um, He's a pass rushing specialist out of the defensive tackle position. It's going to disrupt that pocket and um, timing. Um, What are your overall thoughts about McDowell and how he can really impact the the entire defense, not just the line?
1: So if you think about all the things that um, Michael Bennett gives the team um, at the defensive end position. Uh, Leek McDowell brings a lot of those same things to the interior, to the defensive tackle. He is super quick. He is super strong. He can uh, get through double teams because he can get into the gap before the guards uh, can get their feet set. Um, He's just super dominant in his ability to get into the backfield. Just a, a very good player. Uh, in that sense, he's a pass rusher in that he's a, he's a penetrator. He's a guy that he doesn't, isn't going to, you're never going to see him stack a guard um, and shed. He's going to get into a gap. Um, but when you go through and you watch some of his... So
0: they're going to line him up mostly between the guard and the tackle.
1: I think that... they're going to, which is a three tech. I think you're going to see him a lot there. You might see him, you might, you might see him at... Uh, at nose tackle and on uh, like third and ten type of situations, but that's only because it gives him both uh, a gaps to play with. Um, you're gonna see, you're gonna see him all over in college. So I watched a lot of his tape in college. They would literally line him up anywhere. He would line up at any of the four um, defensive line positions. They would occasionally line him up as a stand up linebacker um, and have him rush the passer. I mean, they would line him up anywhere. He could cut the he. You never knew when you called a play where McDowell was going to line up. After the
0: draft, Pete Carroll kind of commented that he thought that they, um, they didn't optimize him quite as much as he thought that the Seahawks would. What did he mean by that?
1: Well, it means that what they did was they, they used McDowell in ways that weren't always to McDowell's strengths. Um, when you had that, a guy with, And that
0: did that impact his his college stats, for example, or the way that that his effort was perceived and so forth
1: well it it definitely impacted his stats. The effort issue I thought was legitimate um because there were definitely plays where he lines up and you just don't see the effort he comes in and he just he's there he um Kind of does his job, but there's no real in, there's no real intent to just attack the backfield like he does on other plays. Um, they I think they overused him, they overplayed him, and there was he he would wear down, especially at the end of games, is where he, a lot of the times where you, you'd see his effort um, concerns. But if you go back a year uh, to his 2015 season, he was a he was. Man, there were times he was unblockable. Uh, it was kind of like watching Frank Clark's tape, uh, where there were just times he's just completely unblockable. And it looked like he was like he. he it kind of looked to me, if I, just watching the tape. I know, I'd never met, talked with him. I didn't do the interviews, any of that. But just watching the tape, um, his twenty fifteen season looked outstanding, and then his twenty sixteen year, it looked like he knew he was a first round pick. And was trying really hard not to get himself hurt and he, um, and he
0: did have an injury that may have and, impacted some of that speed
1: yep um and so when he when his effort's there, man you're not going to see many players that are better at getting into the backfield than than Leak is. I mean he's just quick and strong, and he can just penetrate through he his tape when he's on reminds me of Warren Sapp, and that is. That's that is nice. really high. That is really high praise, and not one that I I, I say lightly. I mean, he is that dynamic of, of a guy that gets into the backfield. And if you go and you watch his game tape against um, like Indiana, which is a running team, he had he disrupted that uh, offense more than any other player on that Michigan State defense because of his ability to get into the backfield. He wouldn't. He made it so that. Uh, the indiana running game couldn't get going because they couldn't get their running backs to the hole they ha- they were always stopping changing directions he completely disrupted everything about that running attack by getting into the backfield and he didn't make a lot of tackles he didn't make a lot of uh, plays that show up on the stat sheet but you know think about it when you see seattle's running backs yeah, yeah, yeah. dodging dodging guys in the backfield sure they they dodge people they make guys miss but it screws up the rhythm. It screws up the timing. It, it screws up everything about the blocking. Um, well, and that's... you
0: allow your linebackers and our uh, up in the box safety Cam Chancellor to come up and make plays. And and we've got you know three of the best at that position. You know, you've got uh, Wagner, KJ Wright, and you've got Chancellor coming up there, and then you got a guy like uh, McDowell in the middle. That's that's you know taking up some space there. And oh my goodness.
1: That's yeah. going to be so,
0: that's going to be really really fun to watch this season.
1: Yeah, and so you're, you you see a guy like that, and, and you see um, his ability to impact plays, whether it's run or pass, whether it's you know third and short or or third and long, um, it doesn't matter. He's he can impact plays on on almost every play. It's just a very dynamic guy, and and,
0: and this is it, the type of thing, uh, the type of player that directly impacts the team's swagger, you know, because he, a big play guys like that guys that make big plays behind the line of scrimmage, get the entire defense fired up.
1: Oh yeah. And, and you know, he'll get sacks or he'll, he'll create sacks for other people. You'll see Bennett and Averill's production take a nice jump this year uh, because they've got that guy in the middle. And so you have quarterbacks running and they'll run into the defensive ends. Um, he'll make life easier for the linebackers. He's a guy that makes everyone else better.
0: Yay. Um, that's, that's, that's probably the most exciting pick for me. Cause I'm kind of a defensive guy. When I take a look at the team, I really want a strong defense. And for years before Pete Carroll arrived, we did not have a very good defense. In fact, probably, you know, going all the way back to goodness, Chuck knock days, uh, Knox days uh, for me, you know, to have a really good solid defense, um, is, is awesome. And, uh, Seattle's got one of the best. And this year I think we get back to having that kind of 2013 defense where teams are just intimidated. I mean, we literally intimidate teams and we haven't done that for a while.
1: Yeah. We haven't done that the last couple of years. Um, the 2014 team had that, but you can see that it, it dropped off a little bit, um, because you're just you just aren't going to be able to maintain that, and that's where I, I I peg this the talent this year is more on the the 2014 level than the 2013 level.
0: Well, that's just be, that's hard. I mean, that's impossible. Yeah, I mean, as because, far as getting back to the 2013 level, that that yeah, team right there was one of the top three defenses of all time.
1: I, w- I would I would definitely put them there. I mean, and it's just. And some of that's, I'm sure, Homerism because I watch it so closely. Yeah. But at the same time, I watched that uh, that 2001 Ravens defense uh, and that close. 85
0: Bears defense. So and the I 85
1: Bears, yeah. Right, and, right. and then then the the only other one that I would put uh, in the conversation are the the Purple People Eaters um, from the 70s. And you know, those are the those are the the three groups that we put in there, and we say, okay, those are. Uh, those are the elite teams. And then where do you put Seattle? And I put S- that 2013 Seattle defense. God, they're right there with the the, the that Ravens team as perhaps the best ever. It's just, just the way they dominated teams. They just absolutely changed what offenses did and, and just made guys scared. They, the offenses did not want to play against Seattle that year.
0: So that's it. That's our position group, and it's, I think it's outstanding. Uh, I think it's a better defensive tackle group than the defensive ends, All, although I'm not going to discount uh, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and, um, and Frank Clark, don't get me wrong. But uh, overall, the, the, when you combine those three guys and our defensive tackle uh, rotation guys, it, we're going to have a really nice unit really nice unit going into the season so something to look forward to and watch in camp and then when the season starts it's it's gonna I think it's gonna turn out awesome so we had we did have a little question this week uh, out of the mailbag Uh, I'm gonna try to make it a little bit more concise is um, you know why did we have a penalty in the OTAs and how do we prevent that from happening in the future
1: Okay, so the penalty for the OTAs was was handed down for excessive um, contact because these OTAs are supposed to be non-contact practices. Uh, no pads. They it's just it's not supposed to be contact drills because they don't want people getting hurt. Um, the Seahawks have had a number of violations of that because they record every practice. The league goes through and watches the recordings and and make sure that everything is, you know, being, everyone's following the rules. Now, the, the CX have had a number of instances, and some of that is, the, it's, it's just the nature of the team. You know, Pete Carroll preaches competition, he wants guys playing fast, he, you know, lets people get going, and, okay, then, then things kind of escalate and they get out of control. Um, So in order to try and scale things back a little bit, he actually went to helmetless practices, because that kind of forces people to back up another level, because they're not going to, they don't feel as comfortable as, you know, as far as physically, because without the helmet on, so they, they, they scale it back a little bit, and that worked. And then they did enough of those practices that it stopped working and they ended up with another violation and another, um, another incident where people just start going at each other. And usually it's, it's a wide receiver and a cornerback who are, um, you know, competing and competing and competing against each other. And then, you know, one of them takes it too far and goes over the top of the other one and, 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 you know, takes someone out and there's a big hit or, or something like that. And, and it happens and, Unfortunately, it's a it's a side effect of uh, Pete Carroll's way he does practice with the loud music and the up tempo and try and get things going and make it fun and and get people competing. These aren't walkthroughs. Um, and you know, what occasionally... what
0: happens? I mean, everything you said is spot on, and I that's why I don't mind it so much. But if it happens again, and and the and the league decides that taking away some OTAs is not enough and they start taking away draft picks or something. Well, they already did. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. So at what point do you, I mean, I guess we we could save the conversation for actually when it happens, but at what point does it become just a real problem or has it already become a real problem?
1: Well, it's, it's close. Um, they lost a fifth round pick this year over it. And that is a problem, but a f- fifth round picks are they're you can say they're replaceable because you can trade down a couple spots in the second round and get yourself that fifth round pick back, and you're only losing a couple spots. So it's not that big of a deal. but if there's another incident, that fifth round pick becomes a third round pick uh, and that's a big deal because with a third round pick, you're looking at a at a key rotational piece or or a starter um that's what you should be aiming for so now you're now you're actually costing the team like significant uh players on the roster
0: well it seems to me i mean you've got 32 teams in the league it seems to me that we should be able to fall in line with at least everyone what everyone else is doing i know uh, pete likes to run his practices the way that he likes to run them but man i don't want to lose that pick
1: no, what they need to do is, I think they need to make a point of, uh, talking to the players before practice starts and saying, "Look, we've had this issue. These are no non-contact. We don't want. We've had these problems. We don't want these problems anymore. Let's make sure we're we're being good about it." Um, and they need to slow things down a little bit, you know, and not have it be quite so hyper competitive for a non-contact practice. Uh, and just find other ways to run these drills. maybe run less one on one drills and and less offense versus defense and more you know more position drills and more things where you're they're working on on parts of the team and aspects of stuff and uh, but without having that that pure competition and there where things can get out of hand.
0: Good answer. I'm going to leave it right there because we're, we're out of time this week. Um, good show. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, on the Hawks Playbook podcast. You can find the show at hawksplaybook.com. You can find the show on iTunes and subscribe, Blog Talk Radio, a number of other podcast apps that you have and get your subscriptions from. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Keith is at MyersNFL. I am at Hawk. You can also find the show at uh, Hawks Playbook. So that's it for this week. And next week, we'll uh, turn our attention to uh, the linebackers and uh, probably safeties. I think I'll combine that group. And um, the following week, we'll be uh, getting into uh, defensive backs. So with that, you got anything else, Keith?
1: I don't. It's a good show. Good week. Let's do it again next week
0: let's do it Uh, I think next week we're going to record on Wednesday so look for that either Wednesday afternoon or Thursday so until next week we'll see you next time thanks again
1: thanks for listening everyone
0: The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sighted Network and 12thmanrising.com find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes you can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter Bill is at Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.